Good morning and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your host. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. Today I'm going to be telling you guys about serial killer David Most. So grab yourself some coffee and let's dive in. continue on with our content for this week's episode shortly, but first we wanted to take a moment to let you know about an opportunity to listen to even more Crime Over Coffee content. By signing up for our Patreon, you can receive ad-free episodes and additional content. To check out this opportunity and sign up for the Crime Over Coffee Patreon, visit www.patreon.com slash crimeovercoffeepod. Thank you again for all of your support. David Edward Most was born on April 5th, 1954 in Connellsville, Pennsylvania. David had two sisters and one brother. He was the second oldest of the four. So David's childhood wasn't really a typical one. He experienced and showed a lot of anger and aggression towards people in his family. For example, at age two, he started throwing very heavy objects at his little sister's head. And even with redirection and things he still continued to show interest in violent acts when david was about seven years old his father george decided to divorce his mother eva and ended up leaving within the next two years david continued to show extreme amounts of aggression and by the age of nine not only had he set his brother's bed on fire but he had also attempted to drown his brother in a lake from what i could find his mother had been able to stop that attack but At this point, she was obviously concerned for the safety of her other children and for the safety of herself. David was showing aggression towards everybody in the family, and he also was showing aggression to animals. In an interview later on, his brother had said that he even remembers David taking a baseball bat out to the woods one time and ended up beating a squirrel to death. There were also reports that In his childhood, David had attacked two of his friends and had choked them for long periods of time. Neither of them died from these attacks, but it was enough that his mother, Eva, was finally like, you can't, you, you, we have to do something. What a stressful situation for her. I can't imagine, like, what do you even, what do you do in this situation? Because it's your kid, but you also have to think about the safety of everyone else in the not just in the family but obviously friends neighbors everyone else around exactly so i'm kind of glad you said that eva at this point placed nine-year-old david into a state mental home and i saw some kind of conflicting reports at this point as to what happens one of the reports said that the institution that david had been placed in had actually been filled with children who had gone there because their family members were unable to take care of them or they didn't want to take care of them and not actually a place where somebody would go to receive mental health assistance. I'm going to guess that would uh, lead to some other issues. You're right. I do want to point out, I don't think that this is at all right, but this was in like the early 1960s that he would have been put in here. And the way that 
states and places were handling mental health at this time was not in an appropriate manner for anybody, especially when it came to children. They didn't take care of them necessarily. They just kind of put them in this home as a place to like drop them off. They weren't actually receiving any sort of assistance. And then so often that happened just with adults to the quote unquote mental institutions. There's a variant of names that were used, but Yes, people who were mentally ill could be taken there, but they also were mixed in sometimes with violent criminals and also just like Erica has mentioned, a parent not wanting a kid and dropping it off, but oftentimes husbands could decide they didn't want their wives basically and do the same thing. I mean, there's like, you can look up lists of why people are dropped off at these institutions and it'll be something as simple as like they were a little bit agitated on their period and the husband would just drop them off. It's set up for failure in a way because how do you counteract the amount of people that are getting dropped off with all this like wide range of needs? Yeah, and luckily we have seen Mm -hmm. changes in that. And a lot of those changes have gone away with, like have started with a bunch of the institutions just going away completely because we realized that that wasn't what was needed for individuals struggling with their mental health and it's not needed for people that just aren't wanted by their families anymore so we have seen some progress definitely within the last 60 years however at this time it was not a great situation and so yes i'm sure that he went through maybe some horrific experiences in there i didn't really find a whole lot necessarily about his time in there one of the things that I saw that was the most conflicting part and something that it depends on your take kind of, but there were people that were stating that the actual reason David had gone in there was because his mom was not fit to take care of him. So in one of the articles that I read, somebody had described his mom as disturbed, psychotic, needy, and narcissistic. And this was apparently a social worker that had worked with David at this time. The headset had stated that whether or not his mom actually placed him there because he was a lot to handle or, you know, he was showing violent tendencies at home or it was actually just her not being like fit to take care of him. I don't specifically know. However, I think that as a parent, nobody's fully equipped to handle an extremely aggressive and violent child, especially when they're attacking Mm -hmm. your other children. Like there's a point where you have to kind of take that into consideration and you are a mom so you want to protect all of your children so I almost wonder if like I don't I could see it as she placed him in this home as a way to protect him from actually committing like a murder and to protect her other children from what he was possibly capable of doing I'm sure it was a combination of things and I mean couple it with she's a single mom with four kids yeah I'm sure that that was a lot you know being a single mother of four children and then also having to kind of watch out for your children just because their brother has some violent tendencies. An interview that was done later on with one of David's brothers had David's brother saying that it's possible David had been molested at an early age, potentially at the hospital that he had been at or even earlier from family. It was kind of up in the air. Apparently his mom never or very rarely visited him when he was in the mental hospital. And so People speculate that that probably caused 
additional anger and frustration to come out of him and the need or desire for more violent behaviors because he felt unwanted by his family at this point. I struggle with this because, you know, I don't know what he would be feeling as a nine-year-old who has these violent tendencies whose family just like drops him off because he probably doesn't fully understand the violent feelings that he's having and then his family if she really didn't come to visit him at all I'm sure that there is that feeling of like well I'm not good enough for my parents kind of thing so I'm not saying that he was right in his violent tendencies at all I just like it makes me feel for him a little bit because I'm sure at nine years old he was really confused and his mom just dropped him off this place for him to get help David did eventually leave the mental hospital and at that time he went to live at a children's home around the age of 13 but there was some unwanted sexual advances from another boy that was at this home that he reports he experienced I don't know the extent of those I didn't find that anywhere but either way it doesn't sound like the first 13 years of his life have necessarily gone the way that a childhood should go when he was coming out of this children's home his mom sent him to live in Georgia with his uncle Once again, I don't know if that was for her or if that was for the protection of his siblings, but she set him there and he started working with his uncle in construction and he worked there for a while, but he ended up getting fired because he crashed a company truck. And so then he went back home to talk to his mom and be like, hey, like, take me in. And she's like, no, I don't want you here. I saw one report that she threatened him with a knife, like if he came in the home. So what he decided to do in 1971 at the age of 18 years old was enlist in the army. It was pretty typical at this time to just enlist in the army if you kind of weren't sure of what your future plans were. So he did basic training at Fort Lewis and then he did AIT training at Fort Ord. And then in 1972, he became stationed in Frankfurt, Germany, where he worked as a cook and served a couple of years in Germany. In May of 1974, while David was still stationed in Frankfurt, Germany, he did end up committing his first murder. The specifics behind most of his crimes, I'll just be honest, the specifics behind most of his crimes are few and far between. So I kind of got mixed reports on the age, but this was either a 12 or a 13 year old boy named James McAllister. And I don't know what his cause of death was, but... I do know that when the when it happened, David tried to claim that the boy had died as a result of a moped accident and not that he had murdered him. So at this point, David was then court-martialed and convicted of manslaughter and larceny, and he was sentenced to four years of prison at Fort Leavenworth. I'm assuming he was also dishonorably discharged from the military. It didn't specifically say. I don't see any reason why that's not exactly what would have happened, but I didn't specifically see it. That's just my thought. So he spent a couple years in prison. He ended up requesting not to be paroled, but in 1977, they went against his wishes and they released him from prison. He only served three years? Yes. What? (laughs) This is a wild story. So yeah, he served three years for the murder of this once again, 12 or 13 year old boy, and then is released, even though he requested not to be released. Yeah, that's so weird. They're like, okay, you can be released. I'll kind of spoiler alert a little bit, but he 
left a diary. He like wrote in a diary throughout his whole life. And when police found this diary, there's like a lot of information in it and it will further explain his thought process and his request to not be paroled. So I'll, but I'll get into that a little bit later. So he was released in 1977. Then in 1979, while in Chicago, David stabs a friend of his while he's sleeping And he is tried for attempted murder, but I didn't really see anything else come out of that. Then in Texas in 1981, David stabbed another young man. And I don't believe this individual died. They were just severely injured. But he was arrested and sentenced to five years for causing bodily injury to a child. So in his adulthood, he's now killed at least two people that we know of. And stabbed at least two other people. Finally arrested and sentenced to five years in prison. Were they just not connecting him to the other crimes? Did he get lost in jurisdictions, maybe? I have absolutely no idea. Yeah, because, I mean, we're in Chicago and then we're in Texas. Yeah. And I don't know exactly where he killed Donald Jones. Illinois. So maybe it just got lost in the the same Chicago. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, or, I mean, we know that sometimes trials take forever. Maybe he, like, bailed himself out on the stabbing. I have no idea. I'll be honest. Like I said, so it's weird. His crimes are, like, hard to... It took me a while to put this together, just the crime section. Everything else I could find super easily. Like, his early childhood's focused on a lot. His diaries focused on a lot. Later in life is focused on a lot. It's just, like, the actual crimes themselves, there's not a ton, which is weird because... I feel like in most cases, when we're especially for serial killers, we talk so much about their victims and like everything about them. But in this one, it's mainly focused on David himself, which I do think that he's a super interesting individual because of his diary entries, mm. which are, we're going to talk about in a few minutes. In 1982, so David's in jail for tech in Texas for the stabbing. And he's extradited to Illinois for the Jones murder. When he was being extradited, one of the sheriff's officers wrote on the extradition papers and said, bad guy, Gacy type. Oh. I don't say that I disagree. He does show a lot of Gacy tendencies. They're very similar. Mm -hmm. And their victims are very similar as well. Yes. So it's a lot of young boys. Gacy had you know, violent crimes towards animals in his childhood as well. He had not great upbringing. So it it is similar. I do get where he got that from. When he got there, they originally said that he was unfit to stand trial. And so he was held in some mental health facilities. He spent 10 years in jail waiting for trial. And then in 1994, he pleaded guilty to the murders and was sentenced to 35 years. However, he received credit for the 12 years that he had already served. And so he was released in June of 1999. I can't say I'm surprised. <laughs> I'm disappointed, but... I Yeah, I was quite disappointed. So when this all was happening, the Illinois Department of Corrections ended up reaching out and saying that this inmate is most likely the most dangerous inmate you will house. Do not let him out. Like, keep him in jail. And on top of that, once again, David writes a letter 
requesting to stay in supervised custody. His specific, like a quote from the specific letter is, quote, I believe in these laws and I believe that any person who harms or murders another person should never be free to live in society again. I used up all my chances to be free and I would like to parole to the Sheridan program and live the rest of my life there, end quote which was the Sheridan Correctional Center is where he wanted to be for the rest of his life. It's it's weird because he has this obviously basic understanding that what he's doing is wrong, but it's like a weird, like, what's the word, like, uh, compulsion almost. That's why I find him so interesting because he does know what he's doing is wrong. And so he's like, I need to be locked up to ensure that I don't hurt anybody else. And in the first instance, they didn't listen and they just let him out. And in this instance, they also don't listen and they let him out. Well, and I don't really know the like legalities with that. Can you actually hold somebody in a prison or would he have to be checked into like a mental health facility? Probably a mental health facility. I tried to figure out more like the Sheridan program that Mm -hmm. they have the correctional center there. I couldn't really find a lot. This is also 1999. Maybe it's no longer in existence. Maybe they did away with it. But I didn't know if there was something if they had a specific program that they could keep people in but this was his way of like asking for help i think Mm -hmm. and they were kind of i I don't like i felt like they were kind of just like get him out of the prison and he served his time kind of thing which is unfortunate because two years later he attacks another person and hits them six times in the back of the head with a metal pipe jeez that's an escalation Mm -hmm. they did not die and for some insane reason that is completely beyond me, he wasn't prosecuted and he didn't get in any trouble because the person that he had hit said, I don't want to pursue any sort of legal action. Weird. It makes no sense to me. I It said it was an, an acquaintance, a friend. So I don't know to the extent of this friend, but like, Abby, if you hit me in the head six times with a metal pipe... I, I would pursue legal action. I'm right. sorry. That, well, that's fair. I wonder if he was like, maybe he was just so scared of him or he had some type of sympathy. Maybe. But that's just bizarre. I just found it odd. Also, I don't know. I Like I said, that doesn't make sense to me necessarily. Seems to be a pattern for him is another two years passes and he gets arrested. He this time gets arrested for the death of... 16-year-old James Ragani, who died from strangulation. So James had gone missing, and then they found his body in David's basement in Hammond, Indiana. He had encased his body in concrete in the basement. They also found another two bodies in his basement, 13-year-old Michael Dennis and 19-year-old Nick James, who were also found in Hammond, Indiana in his basement. So in November of 2005, he pleaded guilty for the three murders and was sentenced to three life terms. They didn't want to pursue the death penalty for him for some reason, which I was fine with. I was like, you know what? Three life terms. He should be in prison, right? Like, I I think that's good. So that's November of 2005. So then about two months later in January of 2006 at 51 years old, David is transferred to the Indiana Department of Corrections where he's going to carry out his three life sentences. And when officers returned to his cell, they ended up finding David hanging from a sheet tied to the cell bars. He had committed suicide. 
They tried reviving him. They transported him to a hospital. He was in a coma for a short period of time, and he died 27 hours after his suicide attempt. They did find a suicide note in his cell where he confessed to five killings and where he apologized to the victim's families. They also found the diary of his, which we will get into right after this ad. So in this diary, they find an entry from multiple points in his life. One of the entries that he had wrote was him claiming that he had attacked more than a dozen teenage boys. And at the time that he had wrote that in 1983, he had killed two of them. They also found multiple entries from David stating that he had found himself with a knife or a rope in his hand with the intention to kill a teenage boy. Whether or not it actually happened, I didn't, I obviously happened in some instances, but there were definitely some times where he didn't go through with it or he was unsuccessful in luring a teenage boy. He talked about in his diary that he would gain the friendship of these boys and then he would end up giving in to this uncontrollable urge to hurt them and to kill them. In his diary, also in his letter, like his suicide letter, couple of the notes that he had made was a quote that said, I thought to myself that it would not be so bad being in there the rest of my life because I would not be able to hurt someone anymore and then maybe I could get some help. He also said he was sorry for what he had done. He had tried repeatedly to commit suicide. He said that in his diary, he said that he had cut his face once so that everybody could see the mark and they could see his shame. Is there a scar on his face? The photos that I find of him are all, like, really grainy, so I guess I can't officially tell. The one I'm looking at, I don't see anything, but... Uh, Like, I don't specifically see one, but they're all very grainy. Right. He also has a lot of hair, so it's possible it was under some of his hair. Right. I also see that one of his aliases was Crazy Dave. (laughs) Yes. That's how some of the people in the military referred to him as, because of just who he was. Yeah. In his suicide note, he stated, quote, maybe with my death, the families and the people can go on with their lives and not waste energy wondering why I was still alive. Over time, obviously, his family has been interviewed and a lot of them have come forward just making statements about what their thoughts were on David over the years and kind of their experience with him as a child. His mom, Eva, had said that she hadn't seen her son in years She talked about how scared she was of him, how she would still be terrified of him to this day. But she said that when he wasn't doing these bad things, he was really sweet and how he was a really sweet baby, which I found super interesting. I I, like this is kind of a hard case because, you know, usually like we see these serial killers who say one thing and they're like, oh, I'm asking for forgiveness. Like, I'm sorry I did this and asking for, you know, some sort of like empathy but I never really feel like they genuinely mean it I usually feel like it's some sort of like twisting and manipulation I don't necessarily get that feeling with David because he was so adamant on the fact that he needed help and he needed to stay in prison I get the feeling that he genuinely did have some sort of remorse for what he did and that's why he ended up taking his life like I know that that's obviously not the answer but 
I think that was his way of trying to right his wrong. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, there's clearly a lot more of acknowledgement happening on his end than we've seen in the past with other cases we've covered. Absolutely. They also talked a couple times about how upset they were every time that he had been released from prison. They're like, he just leave him in there like he's obviously violent. And they were all really genuinely scared of him. His his brother, Jeffrey, said, quote, it's crazy that anyone let him out of prison. He should have been put to death. It doesn't hurt me to say that. I believe my brother did more damage to other people's lives and he should be put to an end. End quote. I don't know. Abby, what are, what are your thoughts completely on him? Like, that's that's mainly the information that I have. Do you think that the courts handled him appropriately over the years? Well, obviously not in the beginning at all. No. <laughs> I mean, how many people's lives would have been spared if they had kept him in custody like they probably should have? But I think, you know, just to echo what you've said already, that it is definitely a little bit of a shift from some of the other things we've or other people we've covered, but in the end, he caused so much pain and distress that, I mean, he, in theory, kind of got what he deserved, if not less than what he deserved. So that's really all the information that I have about David and his crimes. There was a biography released in January of 2009, written by Dory Most, titled Bloodstained When No One Comes Looking, if you guys want to check that out and learn more about David's life. Thanks to listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. All of our sources can be found in the show notes for each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. You can also support us by recommending us to friends and family, giving us a good review on Apple Podcasts, or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>